This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 26, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The myriad ways in which political classes abuse statistics has somewhat confused the basic elements of global exchange. Andreas Freitag, writing on behalf of the Cato Institute's Defending Globalization Project, explains why it's helpful to understand how investment and goods and services cross borders and why the world appears so bullish on the U.S. economy. I have heard this maybe just the one time, but it was Larry Kudlow, the reporter on CNBC years ago, saying, I love trade deficits because they cause. The important word here is cause current account surpluses. Can you help our listeners understand what he's trying to say and why it is so profoundly mistaken? I try to do that. A trade deficit means you buy more abroad than you sell to foreign countries. A current account deficit or surplus is the sum of a trade balance uh, surplus or deficit, plus transfers and trade in services. So that means either you have a trade deficit and a current account deficit, or you have a trade surplus and a current account surplus. So he was ra- wrong because he mixed up the different elements of the balance of payments. And this is important to understand that there's a, a link between the current account and, on the other hand, the capital account. And this is mistaken by Mr. Cutlow. So when we think about buying things abroad, a lot of the critics of globalization will say, we're sending them all of our money and we're getting stuff. And this is a problem because these foreign entities have presumably a huge amount of US cash. Help me understand what their complaint is. Give the best presentation of that complaint. The complaint is that with spending money abroad, you can't spend the same amount of money at home. So they fear that part of the American purchasing power is not spent on U.S. goods and services and doesn't then create jobs and income here. The mistake is that the money that U.S. citizens spend abroad is money that the citizens abroad will, through different channels, spend again in the U.S. And As a trade economist, I have learned that the final objective of trade is not export, but import. And if you think about an individual who exports her services working for a company, the fun is not the export of the services, but to spend the the income you generate by exporting your services. So the final objective of trade is import and not export. So that is sort of the opposite of what the mercantilist view of hundreds of years ago, but it's also the opposite of a lot of common current thinking about trade and uh, global exchange. That is true. I have been working on balance of trade issues for the last 33 years, and it's always the same problem. Every person who is not in that matter believes that it is an objective of a nation to generate a trade surplus. And I would say there is no normative content, but we have to look at the circumstances to judge whether a trade deficit or a trade surplus is to be recommended or is better for the economy. 
are there circumstances where a trade surplus would be super duper? Yes, a country with an aging population will not spend all their savings in investments at home, but will invest abroad because the, the younger generation will be lower in numbers, so they don't need all the capital here. So they would spend part of their savings abroad investing it. And this money will then be exported through trade. You can't export money. I mean, you can send euro notes or dollar notes, but in order to be used, there is a sent in goods and services. So for an aging population, it is, makes definitely sense to generate a trade surplus because the trade surplus is the reflex of a net capital outflow. More broadly, what can we say with confidence just from that single number of the United States has trade deficits you know, broadly with a whole bunch of different countries? I think we can, when we look at the, the number, we can check whether this is based on investment flows to the U.S. and whether the capital flows to the U.S. are really invested into long-run projects which will generate future income. I would say that bilateral deficits and surpluses are absolutely meaningless. So the bigger number is more important than any individual number with any individual country. Yes. If you wish, I give you an example. Imagine a world with three countries, the US, Germany, and Saudi Arabia. Germany exports only one good, namely machinery. It's exported to the US completely. The US exports one good, that is digital high-tech, to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia exports one good, oil, to Germany. And that's all world trade. And it's balanced. Uh, so everyone is doing what they can best, um, and there are bilateral trade deficits, the Germans against the Saudis, the U.S. against the German, and the Saudis against the U.S., and they are meaningless. What does the overall trade deficit that the U.S. has with the rest of the world, what does that tell us about the relative strength or weakness of the U.S. economy? To analyze the, the numbers, we have to look also at the underlying factors, and I mentioned earlier the connection between the capital account and the current account. They are normally of the same size with, a, with an opposite sign. And uh, to analyze the U.S. trade deficit, we have to look at the U.S. capital account surplus. And this is driven by the fact that the U.S. is a young population, a growing population. So there's a need for capital, which will be invested. And also a sign that the, the rest of the world regards the U.S. as a safe haven for their investments. So. In order to analyze a number on the trade balance, you have to check the underlying factors of capital flows. And here I would say the U.S. is strong in attracting foreign capital and it needs foreign capital. So the trade deficit as such is not a problem. We might think about looking at the size of the deficit. It may be a bit too high. You know? So maybe there's not enough savings in the U.S. That is a different issue. But the number as such and the sign as such can only be judged against the background of the structural features of the economy. And the U.S. economy is a growing economy, a growing population, and um, with a strong locational quality. So that means people trust investment in the U.S. is potentially very successful. So it is a sign of confidence from the rest of the world about the U.S. economy, or it can be a sign of confidence from the rest of the world about the U.S. economy. Yes, I would interpret it as a sign of confidence of the rest of the world in the U.S. economy. And uh, that said, I would 
recommend that the commentators take the whole picture into account and then balance their comments a bit more. When U.S. dollars leave the U.S., often that is in the form of investment around the world. Yes. When foreign dollars come into the U.S., that is investment in the U.S. from the rest of the world. That is correct. What differentiates those two and what do we know about those types of investment flows and what they signal? The U.S. investments abroad are often high-tech investments which create a lot of jobs abroad, which educate people abroad. We speak of knowledge spillovers. These people generate higher income and over time a demand for U.S. goods in the longer and medium run. Uh, investment in the U.S. is either high-tech either from Europe or Asia, or it is money that is uh, given to the state. So the state is uh, indebted and it uh, emits uh, bonds, and these bonds bear a very low interest because the foreign savers think it is a safe investment, so they are not so keen on high investment because the risk is so low. So the lot, a big part of investment from abroad into the U.S. is with bonds of the U.S. government. Andreas Freitag is a professor of economics at Friedrich Schiller University. His essay appears in Cato's Defending Globalization Project. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>